Shall we turn our hearts to God in a word of prayer? Dear Father, as we have gathered this evening, the last day of this passing year, Father, we ask that Thou would remind us how fast time is fleeting, and we are fast going toward eternity. We have never been nearer than we are this evening. And Father, though the new year begins within the hours, we know not whether we will see the new year. So are we frail, Father, in this body before Thee. And Father, also in our journey, as we journey toward home, as we have sung with the songwriter, that where is the fruit? Father, we know that we cannot find it within ourselves, but it is through that meritous labors of thy Son, who has come here to suffer and to die, to redeem us from sin. Father, we are grateful for thy love and for thy mercy. Father, we say even with David that by the word of truth and by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness and on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report. And Father, we find ourselves as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying, behold, we live, as chastened and not killed. And Father, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. So, Father, all of these matters are in thy hand, and that power and strength cometh from thee. We thank thee, Father, that thou hast called us from the mires of sin and lifted our feet upon a rock, the rock of ages where we can hide even in thy wounds, dear Father, in the cleft of the rock. So grant that unto us, Father, in this last gathering, that thou would open thy word, the seals of thy word, unto the brothers, so that we may be fed, we may be nourished, we may be reproved, or, Father, we know not our own hearts, but thou knowest each heart. So, Father, speak accordingly. Hear us, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Grace and peace be multiplied unto all of us here this evening. And the love of God our Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit unite our hearts and our minds. I would like to turn to an Old Testament text this evening from the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel. Beginning with the 38th verse, and I would read through the 54th verse. The Word of God is as follows, in Jesus' name, it's 1 Samuel 17:38. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail, and David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took his staff in his hand, and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy, and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine, and took his sword, and drew it out of the sheath thereof, and slew him, and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until thou come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. 
And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Sheirim, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Amen. Certainly this is an account in the life of David that we often refer to in our Christian discussions, both as here this evening, but also with our own children and in Sunday school. And we rejoice and we glory in the example that David have, has given unto us in overcoming the, the giant Goliath who defied the armies of Israel. David was indeed a lad. He was a youth of approximately 16 years of age at this time. And my thoughts were led to the many who are in your congregation here and are so young, young people, children, teenagers. It is a beautiful picture. It's beautiful to behold the many who come to the hearing of the Word, the large families God has given to so many and the desire so much to know the Lord Jesus Christ and that they would grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. It seems like everybody knew that David was a youth and that he was an inexperienced man when it came to the matters of battling the enemy and according to the external visible life of David those who knew him especially his older brother the oldest brother had much to say to David that would discourage David from ever having approached and offered to stand in the place where God would be able to overcome this giant of unbelief that was threatening the armies of Israel. David explained that he has had experience when the Lord delivered the lion and the bear out of his hand which had captured lambs from his flock, David pursued these beasts, which of course were infinitely stronger than David and capable of, in one swat, to kill David. But David's confidence from the time that he was a child, as we read, 
was in the Lord Jesus Christ taught by his parents, particularly Jesse, his father, is mentioned in the 16th and 17th chapters several times. And Jesse was a gracious father. That is one who cared a great deal about the welfare of others. He cared about his own sons, cared about the youngest of all the sons, who was David. The Lord has taught David that you can put all your trust in him and you shall never fail. It is so interesting and encouraging to read what David says unto the Philistine. David said to the Philistine, Thou comest me to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. He's telling the Philistines, You are not defying and challenging Israel. You're not challenging our king and his armies. Neither is it me that you are challenging, even though for forty days you have been shouting unto us to send forth a man whom, who would battle me, and the winner of the battle will become the Lord over that people, their own and the people he has overcome. David says, you are not challenging us. May I tell you, young people, when you feel the threatening of the enemy of the soul, in whatever way he comes against you, most often he comes with discouragement telling you that you are too weak and too great a sinner to remain a child of God. Give up to the way of the Philistines who represents the flesh. For out of the flesh rises unbelief, and it is a giant in the lives of all of us. Flesh only knows unbelief. And everything that accompanies unbelief then entices or would draw us away from any encouragement that we might have in the promises of God. David answers, responds to Goliath in a most wonderful, clear way. <coughs> Not an eloquent, elaborate discussion pursued, though David was very eloquent. He was a wise man in his early youth, it is written. The wisdom that he gives is not the wisdom of the world that he responds to Goliath, this devil of unbelief, with. But it is the wisdom that comes from heaven above. The wisdom of which the Apostle Paul says, not the wisdom of this world, but the wisdom that is of God. The world by wisdom does not know God, but we preach Christ Jesus as the wisdom of God. That's the wisdom that the psalmist 
in his youth approaches, comes against, encounters Goliath with the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. His confidence is in Christ Jesus. That's why he says to him, I come unto you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. It is this also, beloved, with you. When those threatenings come against you, the accusations of your frailty, and everything else that accompanies the negative thoughts that seems to pervade our minds so often, that rises from our sinful corruption, it is always a defiance against the Lord Jesus Christ who indeed lives in our hearts. Therefore, we ought always learn from this youth, this young man, David, to turn unto the Lord Jesus Christ with those thoughts and know that it is He that the enemy of our soul, the devil, the world, and our own flesh is challenging. Our faith is not based in our successful Christian walk. It is based upon the successful Christian redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, who has overcome death, hell, and the devil in your stead and mine. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Beloved young people, when you read these accounts, such as this of David. Underline these words. Read them again and again prayerfully. Notice what this young man has said. Now, how was he able to say this, you might ask? David, was he of that measure of faith that the old Christians are? David's faith was given him from heaven above. He lived by the faith of the Son of God who loved him, and was going to give himself for him over some about a thousand years after this. David did this by faith. It was not presumption. He did not approach this ballad or this challenge into this battle with Goliath on assumption or presumption. It was not reasoning that led him. It was not arrogance which his older brother, the firstborn, always wants to do. That is our flesh, which is the firstborn, always accuses us. You are arrogant. You ought not to even think that you belong in the presence of this battle that has come against us. But David said unto his older brother in the 29th verse, is there not a cause? What have I now done? Is there not a cause? He directs his brother unto why he is there. The cause. How great is the cause that David and all the children of Israel ought to now consider? The cause is the one who is mightier than you and I, Goliath, this devil of unbelief,
indeed can crush us, and he has done so with many. The Apostle Paul admonishes and exhorts the children of God in Jerusalem in the book of Hebrews. He says, Take heed unto yourselves, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Unbelief divides and separates us from the living God. Unbelief turns unto our own works in fear because we don't trust and have confidence in the work and the promises of the presence of Christ Jesus our Lord. The apostle repeats over and again to the Hebrews, we see Christ Jesus. We look unto Christ Jesus. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Behold Him who goes before you. And the examples of those in the 11th chapter who by faith saw Christ Jesus the Lord. Don't look away. Unbelief blinds our eyes so that we should not walk by faith. David asks his older brother, is there not a cause? And the cause indeed is this. This unbelief, this giant that is challenging and has been challenging for 40 days, now his time has come. He shall be destroyed from among you. As Jesus also demonstrated, after 40 days in the wilderness, Satan then was overcome by him, by his, by the word, the enemy of the soul that operates through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that challenges us always, doesn't he, with the way of the world, the way of false religion, through materialism. David cries in response and says that I will not only slay you this day, Goliath. I will not only remove your head from you, Goliath, but every one of your followers shall also be slain. So that not only when the enemy, the greatest enemy, unbelief itself is slain, then all the fruit of unbelief will also be slain. For that is always the case, beloved. When the devil of unbelief is removed, then also the devils as a result of unbelief will also be removed. We know that sin, <clears throat> the sins we fall into, that we err into, sometimes we call it and say that this is the fruit of unbelief. It's because of unbelief that we go into the various kinds of sins that we do. In other words, we don't trust in Him who has challenged and overcome unbelief and has brought victory unto us through His own power. How was David able to come to such confidence, to such faith? It was not long before this that Samuel was sent to the house of Jesse by direction of the Lord Himself. He says, Saul is finished. He had a good beginning, but he had a tragic end. He ended up in the way of unbelief. And he finally sought after the gods of the devil himself, the witch of Ender. 
for direction. And then when Samuel came to the house of Jesse, all the sons of Jesse came before him, and what appeared to Samuel outwardly was that the oldest son, he was indeed a man who appeared to be worthy to become king in Israel. The Lord speaks to him, he says, judge not after the sight of your eyes. Do not judge after the hearing of your ears. And then he was not so quick anymore to look at outward appearance. Because the Lord looks at the heart. And it is there we also need to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit with the heart. And then finally, after all the sons had passed through, there was no answer that any of them were the chosen of the Lord. Are there any yet left? There is one, but he's only a youth. Where is he? Well, he's shepherding sheep out in the fields. That qualifies him, beloved, to be a leader, one who cares for others. But that is not the reason why he was chosen. The Lord chose him because of his heart, because of the condition of his heart. He knew that David would be faithful unto him, and then he could be taught of the Lord. And when David would fall into sin, such as when in his old age, he would number the people. And as a result of that pride, he would lose 70,000 of the children of Israel because of that one sin. His adultery, his murder, and his living alive for a year caused great tragedy in his household. His numbering his people caused a great tragedy and 70,000 people died because of that sin. And yet, I do not want to ever take away from the tragedy, from the cause, the effect, the sorrow of sin and murder. But there is no sin that is more wicked if we can measure sin as the sin of pride. And God shows us that. David would humble himself, and he would repent. Saul didn't humble himself. You say, oh, I think he did. There were several times it appears he did. There was an outward humility. It was never from the heart. David, when he repented, he repented from the heart, from his, from his sins. But now, he's a youth. Samuel then has him brought unto him. And then it tells us Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and then he left and went to Ramah. I asked the question that where did David receive this kind of faith to be able to come up against Goliath and speak so confidently as he did? Because he had been anointed from heaven above. He was anointed with the oil that Samuel had in the cruise, which was an outward visible evidence that the Lord has chosen him. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. The Bible here tells us, but there was more than the outward appearance. There was an inward blessing that entered into David, and that was the Spirit of the Lord came upon him from that day forward. Now, where did this take place? In the midst of his brethren. 
Now, the work of God is always in secret. We see that in the case of the, the two widows who lost their sons, as in the case of Elijah and Elisha especially. Elisha brought the son into his, or he was put into the upper room of Elijah's, where he was his quarters. He closed the door behind him. No one could see what was going on. Elijah laid himself and as a type of Christ would upon this man, this youth, and life came back into him. At least his body was warmed, and then he laid himself again upon the youth, and, and he touched him with his um, eyes and his lips and his hands, and which speaks of how that the Lord Jesus Christ gives life, and the evidence is um, in that we hear has to do with hearing. It has to do with our testimony. The hands has to do with our walk and conduct. And, and there has to be a coming in a union with Christ Jesus before this can ever happen. This happened to David here. But the evidence was apparent unto those who were there present. And it is an inner working that is secret, that is the work of God. But it is always made evidence outwardly. It was seen that David now is anointed of the Lord, and David was a servant. Oh, how he served. We read over and over again. He never questioned. It seemed like he always had the desire to serve and do what is right, and he was caring for the sheep. And then when he had to leave the sheep, he always made sure he left somebody else there caring for the sheep, that they would never be left without care. And then when he went to his brethren, or to Saul, or unto the captain of the thousands, and he always brought food with him, which is a picture of Christ Jesus our Lord, what he does, always caring, never leaving his own unprotected, always bringing food with him to nourish and strengthen his own, and always speaking the word without any doubt attached to it, what he does and what he is going to do. It explains unto us in the 16th chapter that David was also a very skilled musician. He was very gifted in music, and he was very gifted in singing. Now, if David is an image and a type of Christ in this, in the Old Testament, as there are many such types we read of in the Old Testament, then we must also believe that the Lord Jesus Christ also was very gifted. And this is a wonderful gift from the Lord to have the gift of music and the gift of singing. And the Lord always would want us to have a song upon our hearts and always be able to walk under that encouragement that the music that comes from heaven, which the redeemed of the Lord only can learn to sing, the song of Mary, the song of Moses, the song of Miriam, after they crossed the Red Sea, and they experienced then their final freedom and deliverance from the bondage of sin, from the way of the world and its occupation. They now rejoiced as the Spirit of God filled them with singing. King Saul was often afflicted by devils. 
as we also are. But the devil, you see, had entered into Saul and was able to cause Saul to experience much defeat in his life. And he knew this, and he became very discouraged and depressed many times. What did he look for as a remedy to help him be delivered from this discouragement and depression? The enemy that brought this anxiety and fear into his heart and life. He called for someone who was skilled in singing and in music. There was a young man that knew, a man by the name of David, he is the son of Jesse. Young man says, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing, he is skilled in playing, he is mighty valiant man and, and a man of war, a prudent in matters, and a comely person, and then the Lord is with him. That is always the most important thing. Now, I don't know how many here have all of these gifts from God that David did. Already in his early youth, it tells us that he is very skilled musician, that he is a brave man, he is a fearless man, and that he is a man of war, and that he is a wise man, and he is an eloquent man. He is able to convey, convey his wisdom that God has given him with the ability of speech that is remarkable, and that he is also a very attractive person. He's comely. And also, what is most important, the evidence about this man, this man tells those who are asking for someone to help Saul, the evidence is that the Lord is with him. Isn't that wonderful to behold that of all these beautiful gifts and marvelous gifts that was given unto David, the conclusion that they come to is this, that the Lord is with him. Our gifts and talents and abilities give testimony, give evidence unto the Lord's presence in your life and mine. May I say that again? Whatever our gifts and talents are, they are the Lord's. The Lord uses them in us and brings unto you and me much enjoyment in the Spirit, much encouragement to our hearts, and much encouragement and deliverance from the threefold enemy, because the Lord is with us. He uses them. They are not to our own glory and to our own praise, but they are to the edification, the benefit, the strengthening, the uplifting, the wisdom, the understanding that we need along our spiritual journey to be faithful, steadfast, unto the faith that has been given us in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Lord is with him. That's another verse. Underline this. Underline the last statement. The Lord is with him. Beloved, that makes all the difference in heaven on earth and hell itself. When the Lord is with us, the Lord will always lead us, use us, as our eyes are fixed upon him. And then David, he indeed used his gifts. 
to help Saul. But Saul did not take or receive the benefit of these gifts only momentarily. He was thankful for them for a while, and then he would follow his own pride and his own way. It was right after this explanation of David, who he is, as he is an image and a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is indeed a man of all wisdom, of all might, no fear, a man of war, who has warred and fought the battle that has won, the promise of eternal life for all of us, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. It is Goliath who makes himself known right after this. The Spirit of God leads through this book of Samuel in this way for a reason, to show us when the Spirit of God is with us, how we rejoice in our justification before God, which justification is to the glory and to the praise of the grace of God. But in the same time, the enemy of the soul is also aware of what has taken place in your life. Christ Jesus lives in your heart. You've been anointed by the Holy Spirit, and you have come to know our Lord who is all-wise, who does not fear anyone, who surrounds you, encompasses you with songs of deliverance, the psalmist tells us, and that the Lord God is with him, is with you. The devil now challenges you, will now see how strong you are. We meet him on the road that leads to our home in heaven. He rises up and he challenges, he shouts, he cries against the children of God. And we fear and we tremble because of his voice, because of his stature, because of his weapons that he uses against us. But is he able to overcome us? Yes, we are incapable of our own to overcome anyone, anything, of the enemy of the soul, the world or our own flesh. We are incapable, not even in the slightest, can we overcome anything. But through Christ Jesus, we overcome so perfectly that we can rejoice as we go against the enemy, as we go against the gates of hell themselves. The Lord Jesus says, because the victory through Christ Jesus is already ours. The Bible tells us that, and we can't change that. Saul used his reasoning when he heard They were engaged in battle against covetousness, adultery, and fornication. They were against battling against them the devils of the lusts of this flesh, against materialism. But they were not battling against the devil of unbelief. Do you think, beloved, when you overcome the temptation to these sins that I have mentioned, that you have now overcome? Beloved, you haven't overcome anything. The devil is so happy and thankful 
that He has been able to lead you to believe that you have overcome. Oh, it is a virtue by God's help that we would not enter into any of those sins. But what is it when you are faced with unbelief? Are you able to stand before the judge of the living and the dead on that final day when He judges you by that man who has been ordained, Christ Jesus, as we read in the 20th or 22nd chapter of Acts. The Lord Jesus Christ looks, beloved, more deeply than our outward behavior. He looks to the very thoughts and intents of your heart and mind, and He finds them unacceptable to Him. We need more than to overcome those little ones, soldiers of the Philistine armies. Oh yes, they are difficult to battle against, but you must first meet up against Goliath. He is still challenging you and is crying for 40 days. For 40 days. This has been long enough. David hears him as he came to his brethren, bringing them food and nourishment as he does always. And he has come into the battle and his oldest brother, the firstborn, that portion that is sinful, that is unregenerate, spiritually speaking, our flesh. What are you doing here? You are but a youth. The Lord Jesus Christ always keeps his children in spirit renewed so that their youth is renewed like the eagle's. This flesh of ours says this is unacceptable. We gotta have something else, something better to fight against this man who has risen up against us and caused all of Israel to tremble in fear. David answered, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turns away from his oldest brother and he speaks unto the others there. And all those who were there heard the words of David. And he, David had said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He asks this over and again. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? What does that mean? It is a wonderful phrase. And it sounds bold. But there is a very important meaning to this. The Apostle Paul writes to the Colossians and he tells us that we have also been circumcised, not by the hands of men, but the circumcision which Christ has performed in our hearts by removing us, separating us from that which is sinful within us, the world that is in us. As I mentioned last evening, the world lives right within us. Because all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is of the world. Do you have any of that with you tonight? Beloved, I think we all do. But that portion has been crucified. You don't feel it. Paul says, I'm not telling you to feel that you have been crucified. I'm telling you to reckon that you have been crucified. And then tells us again, we know that we have been crucified with Christ. And this 
earthly sinful portion is nailed to the cross and it is struck to the back of the new man and we carry it with us wherever we go and it is always causing great problems in our lives. Now the new man, Christianity, has never been a burden. It's the world and the devil that is in this corruption sinful human nature that always presents a problem and serious problems to all of us. And that is why we have to turn to the words of David. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who should defy the armies of who? He doesn't say the armies of Israel, but he's defying the armies of the living God. And how wonderful that we might learn the mind of Christ. Already in his youth, in his teenage years, how precious, beloved young people, this is made free and available for you also to learn Jesus Christ in this way. Have the mind of Christ. Put on the mind of Christ. And, and that's why Peter says also that I will not be negligent to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And then he tells them what to remember. And by the way, Peter concludes his second epistle by telling them about all the adversarial enemies that come against the children of God. He speaks of them in the second chapter. Oh, how he explains the ugliness of the way the world and the deceitfulness of Satan comes against the children of God. And then he also speaks of the philosophers of this world that challenge the fact that is the world going to come to an end? But he explains exactly how the world is going to come to an end. And then he explains us unto us how we will be able to face and overcome, rather overcome these enticements. The way of the world. He says, in conclusion, grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. There is the victory, beloved. He began that second epistle by telling us how we would never fall from our steadfastness. Peter says that. And he begins by telling us it comes through first having a living knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, having a living knowledge of God Himself, and having the presence of the Spirit of God who will lead us to grow in love, in faithfulness, in virtue. And he says that if we keep our eyes fixed upon Christ, we shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he concludes his epistle, as I said, grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. And then everything between those two, the introduction and the conclusion to his second epistle, will also be proven to be fruitful in your life, dear children of God. But I remind you again and again and will, as long as I live, Remind you where to keep your eyes. That's where David kept his eyes. And he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David showed unto Saul and unto others 
let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistines. Saul armed David with his armor. Saul, who has now become an antichrist in the family of God, in the land of Israel, is now going to show David what kind of military equipment he needs to put on in order to meet the challenge of Goliath. Have you ever heard of such thing? Yes, we have. Our reasoning is the Antichrist that we deal with every day. It is always telling us different means of how to overcome the threefold enemy, to overcome unbelief. David says, <clears throat> or he received his armor, and then he essayed to go. That means he attempted to walk with this armor, and he says, no. This is not going to work. He had not proved it. May I say something about this, dear young people? Use those weapons that God has given you through faith against the temptations, the discouragement, the accusations that rise up from your heart against you. Those that you have been taught for your, from your Christian mother and father who have always led you to Jesus. To learn of Him. Remember there is always victory through Christ. Oh, there's always going to be spirits, voices, philosophies of men. There's going to be legalistic forms of challenges offered you how to overcome. Don't even attempt to use these. David shows and gives us an example. They aren't going to work. I will use those whom God has proven will always work. David girded his sword upon his arm, upon his armor and essayed to go. And then he says, I cannot go with these for I have not proved them. David put them off him. Put them off, beloved. He took his staff in his hand, chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, put them in a shepherd's bag which he had even in a scrip, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. He was now ready. What made him ready? Because he took five smooth st stones out of the brook? Because he took the staff in his hand? Is it because he had the shepherd's bag and put the stones in the bag? Was it because he had the sling? These are wonderful instruments in going against the enemy. But beloved, none of them will work if you don't have faith in the living Lord Jesus Christ. You notice what David has said earlier and what he says after he does, what he does in the 39th or in the 40th verse of our text. He speaks of the Lord, and he speaks of the Lord. He keeps emphasizing it is the Lord 
whom we believe in who is going to win this battle for us. But the Lord has His means. He uses, as He today has given all of us also the staff. He has given unto us the five smooth stones. He has given the scrip to carry the stones in. He has given unto us the sling and then the ability to go and meet the enemy. But, beloved, we cannot meet the enemy if we go with these, no matter how well you have learned them. Beloved, all of these that David here tells us that he is going to go against the enemy with is used in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in the name of his wonderful father Jesse or his wonderful upbringing or the name of the church or the temple in Jerusalem, but rather in the faith that God has given him in Christ Jesus. May I give an example quickly here? You remember in the case of Elisha and Gehazi, his servant. Elisha is a type of Christ. Gehazi is a type of the church. And he, an individual member of the church. You remember the woman who was given a, a son. She was a, a wealthy, a prominent woman, but she had no children. She treated Elisha and Gehazi so wonderfully with her husband. God gave her a son as a gift for kindness. The son died. She came riding fast upon a donkey unto Elisha. Gehazi was told to go and meet the woman. Elijah recognized her, asked her, what is the trouble? What is the problem? She would not tell the servant. She wanted to tell the Lord himself. And she did, and she rode him. Gehazi had been told nothing is wrong. Sometimes it's the way with us also. We don't realize what is wrong with somebody else. It hasn't been shown us, but it has been shown unto the Lord. And then Elijah says, the Lord had kept it from me. The woman had said to Elijah, did I not, did I ask of you a son? And he knew immediately what had happened. The son was dead. What does he tell Gehazi to do? The son had been placed where we ought always to present our dead sons and daughters. If anyone this evening has a son or daughter who is dead in trespasses and sins. Do as, do as the woman did. Bring that son upon the bed in the upper chamber which belonged unto Elisha. You remember the upper chamber in the, in the New Testament where the Lord met with his disciples and there they sang the hymns and songs of Zion, and they partook of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. There where life and salvation is revealed, in that holy place of the presence of the Lord where He has rested. The Lord Jesus Christ. Elisha sends Gehazi ahead of him. Here, take my staff, he says, and run. Go ahead to the upper chamber, lay the staff upon the young man. Gehazi did so. What happened? Nothing. 
absolutely nothing. Why? Because Elisha was not there. And it is only Elisha, the Christ, who he is exemplified by, who can give life. The staff can't. The means. We have the means, the absolution, the forgiveness of sins. How wonderful! I perhaps rejoice in this and have reason to rejoice in this more than any of you here this evening because I have been forgiven and assured of the forgiveness of sins that some of you don't know anything about. The Lord has forgiven me through the assurance of the gospel, but beloved, it was the Lord who revealed himself unto me over and over again through that message. But some have taken the message and separated Christ from the message. Elisha wanted to teach Gehazi, you need more than the staff. You need Christ himself and And that's why Elisha didn't even respond to Gehazi when he came back and says, The the lad, the youth, has no life in him. Then Elisha says, He went ahead with them, entered into the upper chamber, closed the door behind him, just as Christ Jesus did to Jairus' daughter. Everybody had to stay outside. He closed the door. Peter did the same thing in the book of Acts. Closed the door behind him. Nobody was to see what was taking place. They would see the evidence. But you see, the work of God is always hidden. It's in the heart. can't be seen with the human eye. God sees the work and it performs it. Elisha did. One more interesting thing. When Elisha laid himself upon the lad the first time, as he did, and it explains unto us how he laid upon him. His body was warm. Elisha knew that this is not enough laid himself upon him the second time. And the lad sneezed seven times. He rose up. He was living. Do you remember on one occasion when Jesus restored sight unto one particular blind man? He asked this blind man, can you see? The blind man says, I see men as trees walking. Now why didn't Jesus do what he obviously can do? Why does he have to perform the same thing the second time? He wants to teach us. Beloved, there are many who have tasted of the grace of God and are satisfied. Only with this measure of godliness, of righteousness, they see only the outward form, the image. They cannot identify what they see except to say, I see men as trees walking. Jesus says, that is not enough, beloved. Don't be satisfied only with the outward form and identify indeed what religion is and godliness is. God wants you to know the power of living Christianity. And that's why Jesus again touched this young man's eyes. And then he could see clearly. But it was Christ who can do this and him alone. David went forth. 
And you see, in the 48th verse, he ran. He hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. God tells us to do the same. Don't wait for him to come in through your front door. There where he is knocking. There where he is crying out. Go against him, meet him there. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you go against him. With the staff in your hand, which we rest upon and lean upon, the grace of God, our support, the stones, the five smooth stones, we have explained it many times as being the five books of the law, which represents the Ten Commandment law, the law of God. And sometimes we hear it explained that it refers to the five wounds of Christ. Beloved, why would it exclude anything? It excludes all the righteousness of God. Beloved, we don't go forward against the enemy with a partial portion of the righteousness of the living God. We go in everything that belongs unto the living God in His righteousness and holiness and perfection. And that's why... These smooth stones were taken out of the brook from the waters, the living waters. That's where you will find righteousness, beloved young man and young girl. From the living waters you will find those smooth stones upon which the hand of man has never been laid, who have not been shapen according to human reason to fit your hand and our sling but rather the one which this, the waters of God has already prepared for you. And those stones uh, which we go forth with in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in His holiness has not only overcome Goliath. There was another Goliath in the New Testament who was equally as fierce, if not more so, than the Goliath of the Old Testament. You remember Saul, whose name was later changed to Paul. Saul was living for one thing, that he might eradicate Christianity from the face of the earth. And he consented unto the step of Stephen. He sought letters by which he could call, challenge, bring forth, imprison the children of God, that they would be destroyed in the end. And then he met him, who in his perfect holiness came against this man, this proud, arrogant, religious man, Saul. And he was struck in his forehead as Goliath was. All his reason died and he fell on the road to Damascus. All his righteousness now had fallen in total ruin and he only could see that he was a man dead in trespasses and sins as Goliath also became. And then David ran after the stone had been directed by the hand of the Lord, brought down Goliath, 
Notice there's an interesting statement in the 50th verse. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Never do we overcome our enemy with your sword and mine that we have of our own making. It is the sword of the Lord. The living word of God, by the spirit of God it overcomes. But there is one thing that brings death unto Goliath, to anyone who walks in unbelief and such proud ways and arrogance, it is his own sword, his own sinful way destroyed him. David drew Goliath's own sword and decapitated him. It is man's own sin that will judge him and that will judge him on the last day. It is man's own sin that brings him to eternal destruction. It is not because God has chosen to send anyone there. David shows you young people, in his youthful age, you trust in the Lord, you will also learn of him, and you will overcome. Do you remember the apostle of love, John? He writes... I write unto you, young men, because you are strong and you have overcome the wicked one. That's his message to you also this evening. That faith you have in your heart, use it, beloved, in walking against all the wickedness of the world, your own discouragement and accusation that comes against you, and also believe that your sins are forgiven through the name and in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ this evening. Amen.